Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Police Live 265 series with Eric Dim, the most complained about cop. Uh, We're here. This is going to be episode number six. Uh, And today we're going to speak about New York City Mayor Adams telling the New York City residents and the, the riders in New York City Transit that he's focused on their perception of fear which basically in that statement is saying it's not their reality. Dim, what have you been hearing lately about this? Uh, all I hear about is perception. That's quite interesting. Are we talk- As the mayor, I hold you accountable. Your job is to go by the raw numbers, the statistics, and actually analyze crime rates and actually analyze specifically zero down of what the particular type of crime that is happening particularly in our transit system. And I hear nonsense such as perception is fear and there's fear mongering that's being driven. That's quite, that, that is quite a farce. And we all know that. I watch and, and we see the other day, someone was pushed off the tracks. I mean, one life is too many. And now the answer is about checks. That's all I hear is checks and presence. And our cops are not able to be intrusive. That's the only way to bring crime back to where it was. The best crime deterrent is being intrusive. I've talked about this in many podcasts, and that's what makes the shield special. The the, the shield that a police officer bears on their chest is symbolic of serving the people. And John and I have been out here, and we've been giving content after content. We're here to send a message. But right now, sometimes you have to take a side and I'm taking a side and that side is for the people and the people are my cops that are out there serving the community. And it's my community that needs the cops. Mayor Adams, I'm holding you accountable. You said that you look forward to teaming up with Governor Hochul in the near future. Obviously, elections are coming. But how are you going to protect the people? All I hear from you is you get stuff done. I heard there's going to be a blueprint of how we're going to get these firearms off the street. I hear that you have a plan. I constantly hear that you have a plan. What is that plan? And how are you going to execute? Because whatever plan you're, you're, you're utilizing right now is clearly inadequate, inept, and just not effective for our people. That's great to have people out there and for presence, it's necessary. But our presence is not just about being potted plants and statues. For that, you can take cardboard cutouts and you can put in the transit system. You can take these cars that are unoccupied and put them in strategic locations as a deterrent. And the FBI did a, uh, a study that after 72 hours that these mere ideas of presence, such as cars, fixed posts, and also presence of uniforms, after 72 hours are not effective anymore because the people that occupy a particular area, those that are part of the crime element, crime element, get used to and understand the nature of what's going on there. And then they work around it. So crime doesn't get uh, we do not get rid of crime at that point. All we do is displace it. 
And displacing is great when you start working out your numbers for CompStat, but this is real. We have real people out there that need help. We need intrusion. What do I mean by intrusion? That's being proactive. We hear people like Wong and the New York Civil Civil Liberties Union talk about reimagining, rethinking police work. How about we reimagine a better New York City for our people? We need anti-crime and not just anti-crime. We need our police officers in the way they used to engage, such as the impact zone. And the impact zone was new police officers that were full of enthusiasm. And yes, they had a warrior spirit. And I don't think a warrior spirit is derogatory. I think they should be proud. And the warrior spirit was to go out there and help the people. And that was by questioning people, stopping them, encountering and making arrests. Arrests are what helps the people in the community. It does not hurt the community. I don't understand this ideology when people talk about hurting the community. It helps the community. And now our politicians, and this is what I'm saying, it's time to take the gloves off. I'm holding you accountable. It's, I'm tired of, of hearing, let's take pictures. That's the answer. We take pictures of our uniform officers looking out a window. That's great. It's great for Twitter. It looks great, but it doesn't do anything. Because we know the reality. The stuff that works is what the people don't want to see. It's us encountering people, stopping them for low-level crimes. But those low-level crimes are not at our disposal to utilize as such as we had before because of ADA Bragg and other constituents as such. He's the only one that we hold accountable because he's been so outspoken. But the other ADAs as well, particularly the one in Brooklyn, same thing. They've taken these low-level crimes these petty offenses off the table with this decriminalization. And what they're doing is taking away tools from our police officers and our cops to be intrusive. Checks are great, but it's not enough. Just by putting police officers out there to stand there, watch, observe, and report, you're just spending money. We talk about defund the police. All you're doing is actually funding the police. You're funding the police to stand out there with a mere presence, and that's all, because they have to observe and report. And they don't have the opportunity to be intrusive because here we are. We're now taking police officers and cops from uh, housing, housing locations, which are police service areas. And we're taking police officers from precincts. So they have all the training, but they don't have training in transit. And it does. It's not effective to just, hey, say, slap on your uniform and go work in transit. You need training. Training is the key to success. Let's train our police officers on what to look for in the observation skills in transit. I believe myself and my teams, we have amazing observation skills, but we never worked in transit on a daily day basis. We would need training. We would need to understand the nomenclature of a train, of the platforms, so that we can understand and serve our communities better. This is absolutely ridiculous, and I've had enough. I really have people. I want your safety. This is not helping you. Yeah, so I'm going to get into that right now. We're going to break down how exactly – Mayor Adams, Police Commissioner Keechan Sewell, how they're planning on attacking your perception, not your reality. I'm going to go into a couple of things. And I, Dim, I agree with you that, yes, cops do need training. Um, one, we have tons of transit officers that left this job because they were forced out. If we have a problem right then and there, we have thousands of men and women ready to step back in uniform, qualified, good, 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 uh, Great police records, knowledge, trained. They could step right back in today, today, Mayor Adams, and go down on those train stations that were already trained in it, and we could flood them. We could flood them with presence. We can. But your flooding with presence isn't actually flooding with presence. So actually what's going on right now in the police department, and let's break this down. You have, you have 
77 police precincts, right? Uh, 99 with PSAs and transit, okay? So for to help out transit, we're probably only going to have – how many PSAs are there? Do you know off the top of your head there? Nine PSAs. There's nine PSAs. Okay. So you have 77 plus nine. You have 86. You have 86 commands. Of those 86 commands are going to help out the transit station. They're going to help out the transit cops. Um, so there's 86 commands. So they're taking 10-day tour cops and 10 midnight cops, and they're doing four-hour extended tours in transit. Okay? But we only have – we have 472 train stations in New York City. So you're taking 10. You're going to actually divide that by two. So you're putting out and you're going to only cover five train stations on each tour. So you're not going to have full exact presence in the train station. And what we've been seeing lately is not only with the over 20 people that have been pushed on the ground, not only with the sexual assaults. I'm sorry, not pushed on the ground, pushed onto the it pushed off the train platform into the train. Uh, we've been seeing sexual assaults. We've been seeing uh, murders in the train, particularly stampings in the train. These all have been happening in transit facilities where police aren't present. Okay, so I understand that you want to change the perception, but here's the reality. That's not enough people to cover all your train stations. So your train stations aren't covered. Not only that, in order to fight your perception, Deputy Commissioner of Public Information is demanding to each commanding officer of these commands that they post multiple photos of these cops standing on the transit platform during these four-hour intervals to change your perception, not your reality. And you know what? To me, to me, like my wife took the train, my wife took the bus. I'm sure some of these commanding officers, and I know, I know the cops are pissed about this because they all know this is a this is this is a dog and pony show, smoke and mirrors, whatever you want to call it. This is not going to keep New Yorker safe. We're not even putting the presence that we need down there because not only with these one-offs where there's not cops, but now we see when there are cops and there's only two of them, they're surrounded by groups. They're surrounded by multiple groups. Two cops in the transit isn't going to do it. In order to create perception of that you're safe, we need to send a strong message to the criminal. We don't have to change the public's perception. So, Eric, I know you were a housing cop most of your career, but you worked in the precinct. I was a precinct cop most, most of my career, but we both did have some experience in transit, and we both did understand how to keep things safe. So I'm just going to give you a scenario. You have one train station in your, pre- in your precinct. One train station. There's only one. Let's just say that's not true in any place. That's not true in any area in New York City. Um, you know, there are multiple train stations in, in, in each precinct. You know, in, in the city particularly, there's tons. Um, like I said, there's 472 train stations. But let's go into an imaginary reality. Let's reimagine and make a plan. All right? So here we go. There's one train station in your command. You're the commanding officer of, of this precinct, of this imaginary, of the CCRB precinct, okay? And um, CCRB7? And, and CCRB7, tran, Transit Post 7. But 
you have this police precinct. You have this precinct. There's one transit. There's one transit post in there. We're getting multiple crimes taken from there every day. Robberies, assaults, people being pushed on a train, homeless people, uh, multiple incidents from EDPs, uh, tons of incidents of people not paying the fare. What do you feel would be an effective plan, an actual effective granular plan that you would put into effect to to prevent crime from happening down there? (laughs) This is fantastic. I I know Wong... No, no, I was just going to say, and, and just please give me how many how many cops, particularly each tour you would have down there, realistically, because we, we you know, obviously now we're in, we're in an, uh, a shortage. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to give you that. Just how many cops per tour, what would you do? What would be your plan? Times, all that stuff. So you want me to give numbers based on if I had the manpower or based on the manpower that is effective now? Um, I want you to give reasonable if you let's say you had the manpower re and a reasonable right we don't want to we don't want to we can't flood the train station with 20 cops like a reasonable number you're a precinct ceo you are at uh minimum manning right now because you are you know what i mean it is what it is um and by the way this is destroying the precincts right now they literally have no manpower whatsoever now and and this plan is crushing them crushing guys like they have no plans none of that so but Let's just say, you know, let's just say we're okay. Let's say we're okay. What, what would be reasonable? Okay, so first thing that I would do is I would actually set up choke points. Those choke, choke points that would be set up would be by patrol personnel. They would by, be set up by uniform personnel. What are choke points? That means that I would actually limit access in particular areas and funnel the, the passengers to a particular location. So this way that we can have points that we can identify that we'll, we'll be able to barrier so that we can only we would actually have to funnel people out to a certain location so that we don't have uh, exit points and we can actually have access points for the police. And then we can start to do which I would do on the second component. And I know the public doesn't want to necessarily hear this, but maybe some do is I would have an anti-crime team in the subway. It would be one sergeant with approximately five cops and they would be in plain clothes. And what would we do? This used to be very effective that I used to do with my teams. And it was actually, I used to call it reverse policing. So here we are on the train, train systems, we're getting robberies. And what I found in my experience is that when perpetrators or persons of interest subjects that we have, and they're committing robberies, they seek out, Particular types of victims. In some cases, they would be elderly victims. Some cases, they would be female victims. We've had cases where they seek out and they canvass for handicapped, disabled victims, mentally illness, homeless. So what I would do is I would do an analysis and I would zero in on the victims. And then I would have my my sergeant and his teams actually deploy and case the victims and the victims would lead us to the potential perpetrators. And that's how we would quell the problem there. And we would bring these people to justice. And while doing that, I would have on the outs inside the subway, up the stairs. And I would exactly that. I would have choke points where I would deny access to certain points and funnel the passengers out to particular locations so that we can 
barrier and create obstacles for the perpetrators. And we would actually, in, in conjunction with Taru, and if uh, the public wants to know what Taru was, Taru was our enhancement unit when it came to uh, cameras. And we would put what's called pole cameras, co- covert cameras, in the subway location where we could funnel out these perpetrators. And I used to be able to watch it with my phone. And then from these phones, I could watch what's going on with these potential perpetrators. And that's where I would start. Choke points with the patrol personnel. So it's not just a presence, but pushing these people out to a particular location so that we could seek out these perpetrators while our crime guys are doing analysis and canvassing canvassing for potential victims because the victims will bring us to the perpetrators. That's my best assessment, and it used to work. What would you do if a fair evasion? What do you believe should happen when someone jumps the turnstile? Would you have cops posted at, at where people come in and out? Like you said, you would. So what would they do when somebody jumps the turnstile? Doesn't pay. Absolutely. So this goes back to the broken windows. And that's what I said when I would create choke points. So if I have patrol officers at the, uh, at the kiosk and at the locations where they actually have to swipe to get on the train, that's a choke point. That's going to... The perpetrator is going to have to decide in their mind if they're going to utilize that way to access the train. So if there is a fair evasion, that does two, two things for us. One, it gives us an opportunity to have an encounter to find a potential perpetrator. And it also allows us to identify suspects. And that's what the public doesn't understand. There is beauty in summonses and arrests. It's not prosecution is very important, but it's also about information. I know I talked about this on other podcasts. But if we summons persons of interest or we have encounters and people are identified, that's information that can be utilized to zero down to find our perpetrators. And and the minutia of a fair evasion could lead to the apprehension of a perp that is committing several robberies, that there is a robbery pattern. Because one thing that the, the politicians want to put out there, and this part is true. Not everyone in the transit system is a criminal right now. There is a small element, but that small element creates a mirage. And it does feel that there are more persons that, because we don't have these choke points, we don't have it zeroed down on where to actually observe and do surveillance. So that fair evasion idea that you talk about, it's extremely effective. That goes back to the broken windows. But how can we even address that anyway? If we do stop someone and summons them, are they even going to be held accountable and go to court? Or, and also with the stop, question, frisk, are we able to take that information and use that as data? It's questionable because in many cases, particularly with the gang unit, they were not allowed to have gang databases anymore, which it, to me, I think, is, is hypocrisy because they can't target the gang offenders. I mean, that's information that we need that led to perpetrators that, you know, the only way that they want us to take gangs down is by these major cases. But major cases take two to three years. And over those two to three years, these particular perpetrators and subjects are committing crime over crime. So it it takes a long time to help the community in those cases. So while we have major cases going on, we need to pick up shovels, pick up a little dirt. Everyone has to pick up a shovel and be part of the crime-fighting strategy. And we need to zero down. We need to have choke points. These, the presence has to be, it has to be targeted. It has to be effective. It has to have a mission. The presence just can't be, oh, let's look at the train. 
and have a check. You know what? You can, for that case, on Halloween, we could get a bunch of Halloween costumes and just throw Halloween costumes on the train. We need them at a specific spots and not at the same spot every day. Because as I said, going back, the FBI did a study. And if you have them at the same spot after 72 hours, it's as if you're not doing anything. What would you do for the mentally ill that are on the transit platforms that are hanging out there all day, every day? Mentally ill, not just a homeless. I'm talking about someone who's on a platform being disruptive, whether it's in a drug-induced psychosis or they're just in a psychosis, yelling, screaming, peeing, shitting, um, harassing passengers. What, what, What do you think would be an effective plan for the police department that they could do to to rid the transit system of these mentally homeless of not the, of the mentally ill on transit i don't believe they should be down there i don't believe that anyone feels safe uh while this is going on and we're seeing this throughout each station in the city almost like it's 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 a, a almost like it's someone's home what would what would you do for the mentally ill we'll get into the homeless next i i have to chuckle at this because i do think that it's it's synonymous when it comes to mentally ill and homeless all right they're intertwined and there's there is a, a comparable a comparison to both, and they kind of intertwine with each other. And the reason being, and, and I don't want to say it sound cold when I say this, but for the most part, particularly in New York City, there is no one that is legitimately homeless in New York City just because you ran out of money. In New York City, there is, there is so much opportunities to make money. For the most part, in my experience, if someone is homeless, it's either they're suffering from mental illness or they have substance abuse issues. Because in most cases, most of us have enough resources and friends that someone would take you in. So it's pretty tough to be legitimately all out homeless. And what I found, it too, is you might have found the same thing, John. There are people in the city that actually choose to be homeless because they have their group of people that they're comfortable with to use their substances well, there's other people that are mentally ill suffering with them as well, and they don't want to get back to the hospital and take meds. So this is a comfort zone for them. So there was a fantastic unit that actually addressed this, and it was called the Homeless Outreach Unit in the New York City Police Department. But of course, that was a unit that was intrusive, and they really zeroed in on the broken windows theory. They would arrest 10 mentally ill or homeless or, or both, some are mentally ill and homeless, in the subway system they would have their own encampments and trenches and they would take these guys in and they would arrest them and obviously the ideology was not to put these guys in jail forever but it was to address to bring them into custody so that eventually they could find them outsource and resources and it was based on the broken windows theories these guys would, would be drinking in public or they'd be sleeping with an encampment these are minor violations but Enough that the this particular unit was able to address it. It was an effective unit, but that unit has been disbanded, just like anti-crime. Are you aware of the homeless outreach unit? Yes, I am. I'm very aware of it. Um, and I do agree with you. I do agree with your statement that mental illness, drug addiction are all tied into homelessness. I do. But there's this myth running around the city, the same as the the young black kid who got arrested for smoking marijuana and spent the rest of his life in prison. So or even went to jail for an extended period more than one night. So I just wanted to bunk. I just wanted to bunk what we would do in 
both of those scenarios. So you did answer like the mental illness, like, you know, the mental illness. I mean, we have to, right. I, to me, I, I believe that's an effective strategy. We go out there the same, the same way that um, the, uh, the homeless outreach would go out there. They would go out there with, uh, with what do you want to call those? Not psychiatrists, but um, social workers, social workers. So they would go out there with social workers, EMS. They would go to each train station or any, or any area in the city where homeless were and offer services, right? Offer services. But, but like you said, many people want to be homeless and don't want those services for whatever reason. They say the shelters aren't safe. They say a lot of different reasons why they don't want it. So uh, in particular in transit right now, what I'm saying, like I do believe that would work, but somebody in a, in a, in a, psychosis in a mental state where they're crazy i think they're past the point of being rational to even enter services so i just think that sweeps should occur every day in transit where we go down there and we basically edp people and what that is is where it's emotionally disturbed person we go down there with ems and we bring these people to a treatment facility to get help um you know bring them to the doctor let them be evaluated by a psychiatrist i'm not saying anyone just sitting around in the homeless area i'm saying when there's a sign of distress you're yelling you're screaming you're pissing you're sleep you know anything really out of social norms should be checked and by social norms you know i i do but again if you're screaming at the top of your lungs in transit if you're getting naked if you're pissing and shitting and uh 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 uh, uh, uh screaming at people you know yes i mean a lot of this stuff is not a crime anymore um you know and it won't be enforced but i and i don't think that this person's a criminal but they do need to be brought somewhere to they cannot stay in transit it's not safe you know what? That this is so important that we reflect on this. Again, I know I hope the public's not getting tired, but civilian complaint review board is a major contributory factor to the mass exodus of our police officers and also to the contribution of crime, mental illness, mental illness, and homelessness. Why? Here's the key key with this. John, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the last year, there are numerous lieutenants. Because they were in charge on particular scenes. Numerous ESU members. Now, for the public, when they understand, ESU is like a second tier. ESU responds to help cops on a situation that cops don't have the tools and resources. And they have extra training, specialized training. They really zero in on specific tools. Very savvy, fantastic ESU. was always impressed by that unit. Uh, a lot of former uh, military guys uh, like myself. And fantastic unit. And they respond to help cops. And what we found in the last year is they would respond and they would involuntary remove an emotionally disturbed person for services. And guess what they got? They got substantiated civilian complaints. Now, this is complete. Uh, to me, this is scary. The Civilian Complaint Review Board substantiated supervisors for Removing emotionally disturbed persons against their will. Now, this is, in, in many cases, this is extremely necessary. Someone is under psychosis. They don't have the rationale at this particular time to make a decision. And you and I know some of these people, they're under such a psychosis. And you and I have seen it many times. And people may, may not understand excited delirium. 
when they start to remove their clothing and they're actually burning up inside. And the reason why they take their clothes off in zero degree weather and freezing cold is because inside they're burning up. And if we don't get these people resources and if we don't remove them against their will, some of these people face a heart attack because they're going through that adrenaline that we talk about anti-crime and police officers when they're responding to jobs. They go through the same feeling of adrenaline rushing through their body, but we've learned to control it. It's something that we've become accustomed to. But for these people, it's 10 times of it's almost like it's on steroids of what we go through. And in many cases, these people suffer heart attacks. So it's necessary that we remove them to get them help. But they're getting substantiated with civilian complaints. And I know I dealt with these guys in many cases and the ESU guys in many cases would now respond. But they would stand there and again. Just as cops that are afraid to be intrusive, they, they would observe a report and they would not help. And they said, you know, we've gotten too many complaints. And, you know, uh, Lieutenant, uh, j- just handle it. If you really need us, we'll give you the tools. I mean, this is crazy. These are the guys that are getting the training that we need help, but they're afraid to do their job. So how can we help with this mental illness? We can't even help with this homeless anyway. The ideology of being intrusive is done. It's over with. Because you're going to get a civilian complaint review bill. Uh, you're going to get a substantiated complaint for the civilian complaint review board. And the discipline matrix is going to hit you over the head like you wouldn't believe. You're going to lose vacation days. And some say, ah, big deal. You lost vacation time. You can go sick, right? Well, guess what? How much do you think it costs for each vacation day? Well, you know what? As a lieutenant, it was very valuable to me. Maybe as a police officer, it doesn't cost anything right now because these guys are almost six years out of contract and they're making peanuts out there which is another thing we could go back to. Why are these police officers still trying to be intrusive out there? This is what they want. They want you to stand there and just do checks and do what's asked of you. And unfortunately, I'm sorry to the public. It's going to hurt your community. But we need to save these police officers. We need to make a decision. They talk about reimagining police work. This is scary. Reimagine what? Reimagine doing nothing? Just stand there with the uniform? Well, anybody could do that. In that case, let's abolish the police as you want and just hire security guards. And that's where we'll be. Observe, report, watch, and surveillance. It's funny you say that because that's part of the plan. MTA has hired unarmed security guards to stand there. And I don't believe that's going to keep anybody safe. They're just going to watch. They're going to observe and report. Um, We have uh, some retired chiefs running around the country working for uh, specific – I don't even know what you want to call it. They're police consultants now, and they go to these cities. I'll take New Orleans, for example. And they went to New Orleans, and they go to New Orleans, and they go to – you know, New Orleans right now is like the murder capital of the country. Um, Shootings are up. It's a very violent area filled with gang violence. And then these retired NYPD chiefs, they're consulting – they went to the New Orleans Police Department and basically said, you know what'll you know what'll stop shooting? Hiring unarmed, unarmed civilian guys in, in, in police uniform. That's about as ridiculous as what's happening <laughs> what's happening in New York City transit currently. Because you're right, people are being completely hands-off because it's self-preservation at this point. I mean, and and honestly, the politicians don't even want you doing this work. Right. They don't even want you doing the work. Um, And here's here's another here's another thing. Right. I always said, like, what are you hanging out on transit for? So now now we're going to get to the homeless guy who's completely healthy. He's completely rational and he just decides he's going to live in a train station. Right. Uh, That's (laughs) not too many that, that are actually rational, but they are there. And I have encountered some that I've had 
pretty decent conversations with and, you know, and they explain the reasoning for it, but you're in transit. You're, you, it's not a, it's not, you, you're not, you really just can't stay there and set up shop and set up a tent and just hang out and sleep there. It's, it's not, it's not conducive. Like there's other places for you to go. There's facilities for you to be in, or I, you want to live in a tent, go in the woods somewhere, you know? So <laughs> let's, let's get to that guy, you know? You know, I, I'm a firm believer. Why is someone sitting there and uh, through cycles of trains passing by? There should be a limit to the, the amount of time that you're allowed on a subway platform before it becomes a crime. Like you shouldn't be allowed to stay in the same train station just wait, watching. There's only two or three trains coming through and you watch them pass several times. All right. That's it. Like, that's it. You got to go now. Sorry. You know, that that should also be a crime. But again, like you said, God forbid you went to take police action on that. You're a brutalizer. You'll be a state brutalizer. You'll be enforcing. Uh, you'll be criminalizing poverty is what is what you'll be being told. And you're 100% right. You'll get every allegation in the book. You'll be substantiated. The media will be all over you. Our mayor will be on TV crying. And everybody will be, and everybody will be calling for your job. So does why? Pu- Go ahead, John. Sorry. No, no, no. That's fine. Does, does the public know that when a police officer, a cop, lieutenant, sergeant, any rank, and I have actually been uh, a victim of this particular case, when you get a substantiated complaint from the Civilian Complaint Review Board, yeah, and if you don't have an opportunity to take it to trial, because in most cases, most cops, even myself, do not want to wait two to three years. Why? Because... You're holding up the opportunity of getting transferred, promoted, or retirement. So if you settle for some type of discipline, for a substantial civilian complaint, or you receive discipline, you are now going to get sued in most cases. And this happens more often than not. And then you will not be indemnified by the city. Now, what does that mean? When they say identify, that means that the city law department, the New York City tort division, will not represent you. So that means their team of lawyers are not going to pay for this particular incident. For here you are doing your job as a New York City police officer. And then your option is either to seek out your own lawyer. And in most cases, obviously, as a police officer, we're not rich. I know people like to think we make a lot of money. They post it on 50A and all kinds of public websites, uh, New York see-through. Yeah, the numbers look great, but let's talk about taxes and deductions. So what happens? You end up seeking out representation by the unions. And right now, the unions have been picking up the bills and representing. But as a slap, I guess you could say it's like a, a slap on the ass and, you know, so that you know not to do whatever you did again. Like, for instance, I had to pay money out of pocket, and that was for a stop. I stopped someone in the confines of the 4-0 precinct. I suspected had a firearm, and they end up not having a firearm on them. So for the anti-police sentiment rhetoric, they would say I was wrong. And this particular person had all the indicators of a possible firearm, and it actually it was a low-level crime. He did not have a firearm, but all the behavioral indicators were there. So in that particular case, I went to trial. I did lose. Uh, however, so 
that really resonated with me. I said to myself, why would I go out and stop people? Why would I put myself out there? And I was actually, I was right by the parking lot of the priest and I could have just went home, but I wanted to help the community. I was wearing a t-shirt with 60 degrees out and this particular person, and they tried to paint me out to be a racist. He was black. He had a hoodie on, a big bubble jacket, black jeans, big boots. And here I am, I'm wearing a t-shirt with 60 degrees. I was warm. And this wasn't the only reason I had the counter, but that was what drew my attention along with the other observation skills that led to the encounter. And in that case, I was sued. The city would not indemnify me. And I have to pay 3000 out of my own pocket. The rest of it is being picked up by the union. And some of it will be picked up by the city after an agreement with the union. But I, so you ask yourself, why would you go out there as ESU member, a police officer, and pick up the mentally illness, the homeless why would we stop someone that we suspect has a firearm? We'll just stand there and take Twitter photos as they want. And you will not have to bear the possibility of a lawsuit where you will be sued and not indemnified. And you will have to pay out of pocket. I had to tell my family, hey, listen, I have to pay $3,000 out of my own pocket. So what did you do? In my opinion, I did my job. I did what I was trained to do. I was asked. I stopped someone on reasonable uh, excuse me. I stopped someone for reasonable suspicion. I suspected they had a firearm and they did not. But I did all use, I applied all the training and all the legal justifications leading to that encounter. And after that, I said to myself, I saw numerous people I thought may have firearms, but I wasn't going to make that stop. Do, do I want to pay another 3000 out of pocket? Absolutely not. Am I a fool? No. At that point, I gave my police off standout orders. Listen, don't be so intrusive anymore. And even after saying that, because it's in our blood, even myself, we would be out there in particular situations. I would have these encounters. And I just got lucky I didn't get another lawsuit because I had the intentions that I want to help the public. So I don't know how we're going to help the transit system just by doing checks. Because I'm telling my police officers, my cops, if you're out there listening to this, if you go out there with that good heart and you stop people, because some of you still want to do those stops, if that doesn't lead to a firearm, because it's been all about the end results, if it doesn't lead to a firearm and the Civilian Complaint Review Board finds you substantiated and you get a lawsuit, you are going to have to pay money out of your pocket. That's money that could go to your kids. That's money that could go to a vacation. That's money that could go to your family. For you doing your job, what we asked you to do, we pay police officers to do this. I mean, we have no problems when we go to an airport and we go through TSA of someone checking us arbitrarily, the entire body, but yet we have an issue if someone gets checked in the community based on a police officer using identifiable skills, trained eye, boots on the ground, using those skills to have intrusive encounters. That shield should bear something. It's symbolic of intrusive police work. I used to be proud of that shield. Honestly, right now, I question it. But the shield of a security guard is not the same. It's there to observe, report, and do surveillance. Is that what you want? You just want reports? Is that the age? In that case, we don't need police officers walking with their boots on the ground. We can get digital cameras and we can get holograms. And that would be the same thing. Is that what we want? I, I don't know. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I really think if we listen to these closed door discussions in these big cities, you're going to hear that exact talk is, oh, let's just throw security guards out there. They're cheaper, and these fucking cops can't do anything anyway because because of these liberal progressives took all their things out anyway. So 
the bosses know it and they're being silent and they're not saying nothing. The police leadership, the police experts, you know, they're being completely silent about this while they're pushing. Oh, yeah, we're going to solve crime everywhere by observe and report. We'll put a uniform there that's completely useless because of all the things that Eric's talking about right now. Because I don't think that you said anything that's off base, right? You're going to lose a lot more than that $3,000, by the way, for because, you know, you're losing vacation days on top of that. And that's true even if you got a gun. Even if you got a violent felon and you have a witness saying, yes, he just molested me. Yes, he just grabbed me. He just stabbed me. He just did that. You could still get all of those things. You're going to be like they're not looking for the truth any longer. They're actually there's tons of CCRB interviews now where they're sending misleading. They're giving questioning to get a, an answer that they won't like or to try to trip you up. They do this, especially with cops who are nervous, anything like that. Right. Like, you know, um, anything, anything to try to get any type of discipline on you. They're not looking for the truth in this scenario. They're looking, but my, my belief on the CCRB and dim and then dim, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I believe. I believe that with the CCRB, you are guilty. Then they investigate to find you guilty of something. They don't care what it is. They just need to find something to find you guilty. And that's a successful CCRB uh, investigation. But it's actually that is causing harm to the community. That's making our police officers take a step back. Now we have all the progressive laws and policies in place that all of the stuff we just talked about is really imaginable, is, is, is we're imagining it because you can't do any of those things anymore because all of these minor crimes have been taken out of our hat and actually aren't even criminal. So if, if we do get to the point where we stop you for fair evasion, we stopped you for a non-criminal, uh, we stopped you for a non-criminal violation and you're going to say we were criminalizing poverty and we don't even have the ability when someone's acting up to take them to jail if they're really causing a nuisance, causing disorderly conduct, acting in violent, tumultuous behavior, causing a crowd to form, all of these things, which should happen. And in the past, that fair evasion might have just been a summons, but right there at that time, that should be a night in jail. Let's like, we could correct we could correct this type of behavior right now. It won't be any long-term effects on the actual perpetrator or persons of interest. And a night in jail will deter much of this behavior. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna. When there should be some type of authority for the police, but instead, our police leaders are running around the country getting paid tons of money, saying, "Just put security guards that cheaper than cops." As our cities burn, as your train stations get much more unsafe, as you feel unsafe, yes, your perception has changed because your reality has changed. It's not, it's not that this, there's this right-wing spin on the media because, as we could tell, the media is very ves- uh, left-leaning. Um, messages don't even get out there that need to get out there. Um, and you know, and I, 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 think, I think exactly what Eric's saying is, is, is directly on point. The, the CCRB, um, and then even where he had to pull out of his pocket $3,000 to get a lawyer, we have politicians currently in New York City and I believe throughout the country that are trying to remove qualified immunity. Qualified immunity from police officers. Qualified immunity means I go to a 911 job, I do my job, I do it to the best of my ability, the way I was trained to do legally. I do everything correctly and I and a lawsuit ensues 
from that from from my actions taken from a, a, a member of our community calling 911. I, I we handle that job the best we could do. Somebody decides to make a lawsuit against us for whatever reason, and now I'm personally liable for it. Meaning I got to get my own attorney, and all of my assets are personally liable. And I got to say. I, I got to say, anyone proactively policing, I think you're insane right now. If they take away qualified immunity, I think you're insane if you even stay on this job. I think you're at, I think cut your losses for what they are, and that's it. It's over. It's over. That is abolish the police department. What, what, what do you think about that? <laughs> Again, I got goosebumps and chills because this stuff is scary. Uh, and like you said, and I'm saying that to my police officers, my cops, if you were under my tutelage, if I was uh, your mentor throughout your career, please. And, and in most cases, all the guys I've worked with, you know, they, they were fantastic, talented men and women. Uh, and most of them have become detectives. Some of them are sergeants, lieutenants. I even have one of the guys is a captain now. And, and I'm telling you guys, please, do not do proactive police work right now. You only have losses. There's no gains for you. I know your heart is in the right place. But this is not the time. There is no support. Obviously, the city and the politicians don't want it. So this is my question. John, this really is my question. We keep hearing reimagining and rethinking police work. So I would like to invite those that want to reimagine and rethink police work, such as Wong and some of these city council members. Now, I consider myself a very open-minded person. I believe in reading books that do not have the perspective that I have so that I can understand other people's perspectives so, so that I can respect them and have an understanding appreciation for it. I mean, my son, I, I'm, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not Hindu, but I actually have him do a class on Hinduism every week because it surfaces on character uh, leadership and character building. So I really have a respect for it. So I, I chose to have my son do this Zoom class every week about character building. And it's it's Hinduism. And he learns about the culture of, of Hinduism. And, and I'm, not, I'm not Hindu, but I just, I really appreciate it. I like it. So I'm saying I have an open mind. And so with that open mind, hear what I'm saying is, John, I, let's invite these people to come in. And I want to know what, because we hear reimagine, rethink police work. But what does that mean? And I am willing, John, and I want you and I to tell the public, are you willing to take a class from these people on how to teach us rethinking police work? I'm willing to sit. I'm willing to sit for that forum and please teach me. And if you can teach me, I'll teach my personnel how to rethink and reimagine this police work. And I would like to see how it works. I mean, maybe could we find one of these city council members to play the role of an anti-crime sergeant and five city council members to play the role of anti-crime teams can they show us how to do it because obviously what we did they feel is ineffective and hurting the community so i respect all opinions i would like to see their perspective what do you think about that yeah i don't even think we should go into anti-crime i think that's a very that's a very detailed intricate unit so let's let's pretend there are no anti-crime units like there are aren't currently so there's no anti-crime units just tell us what a police officer to do what do you expect from the police department that's all i'd like to know what would be the best 
form of policing. That's all I want to know. Show us what style of policing works. Because obviously the one that we've been doing for the last nine years in New York City isn't it. It's not. It's obvious. I mean, the crime numbers are, are statistically have been through the roof in the last five years. And that's at every level. Um, like I said, they play games with the crime stats. They'll show you for the 28 day period. Oh, we're here. And they'll give them a self a pat on the back. But they'll never be able to tell you exactly why that happened. You know, what, like, like in your opinion, in your opinion, like this plan, this is a plan, right? Because Mayor Adams put out that blueprint to save down gun violence. And that was a joke. That was a rewritten policy from Bill de Blasio. They changed some words. It had no substance. All it really did. All it really did is is rename Thrive New York and give even more funding to failed programs. That's all it did. It didn't help anybody do anything. It was all nonsense. I literally broke it down line for line. I sent it to one of his supporters, who's an active lieutenant in the NYPD. We were supposed to sit down and debate it. He never came on, and he's an active lieutenant. And the reason he never – he has a huge social media presence. And the reason he never came on is because he can't defend it, because he doesn't know what it is either. You know, he's an He calls himself an activist uh, lieutenant. He, I, I believe he listens to this podcast from time to time. Um, and, you know, I, again, I would invite you to come on, too. You know, you're a, you're a police officer, and I would like to know the opinion of how any of this could work. But, Dim, in your opinion, we have 472 transit stations in New York City. That's an, we get an average from a 2015 study, 5.65 million riders a day in New York City transit. Um, we got 10 10-day tour cops, 10 midnight tour cops. They do four-hour extended tours, and you have Deputy Commissioner of Public Information, and we're doing – if you look at all of the, your local precinct's Twitter accounts, you will see a photo of two police officers standing at a train station, and they will say, your cops out there keeping you safe in transit. What do you feel will – how will this have an impact on crime in transit particularly? Will it also have a, a, an impact on the street? I can tell you exactly what it's going to look like. John, you ever play darts? Yes. Okay, so anyone that plays darts knows that if you play with anybody that has no experience playing darts, there's going to be holes all over the wall and not on the actual dartboard. So that's exactly what's going on. They're just throwing stuff at a wall, and it's all over the place, but it sure as hell is not hitting the bullseye. And the bullseye is actually getting people to safety on these trains. This is not going to work. Okay, and I saw this in my last year also. This, what they do is they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. I saw this in my last year. They would take police officers, including myself, from PSA 7 to go to Times Square because the manpower is short and Times Square is just looks like it made a complete 180 from the Giuliana area. And then they would take police officers from outside commands to go to PSA 7 to fill those gaps. And then those officers that left those commands, police officers would go there to fill those gaps. So it was this one giant merry-go-round of everyone getting displaced to give the presence and the appearance and perception that there was more presence out there. It's absolutely not going to work. And you and I know it. And the only way to do it is to be intrusive as proactive, proactive police work. That person, that subject that has to think to himself, I'm not taking this illegal firearm on the train today because some police officer may see a behavioral indicator that I have because of the subconscious and he knows he has that firearm and I may have that encounter that leads to my arrest. But now they know that there is going to be no encounter 
and they know that they could just walk around in freedom. And we found this in the last two years of doing policing. We used to zero in and get these target repeat offenders with firearms, gang members that have the responsible for shootings. And you know what we got in the last two years also? We started to get people that have never been arrested with firearms because they felt, oh, it would be comfortable to carry this firearm. I, and a lot of times, you know what the response I heard was? Oh, I thought you don't stop people anymore. And legitimately, that's what they would say. Oh, I thought you're not allowed to stop any people anymore. This is the information that they're getting from the politicians. And, and this is and they're totally misguided. And, and, and you know what? In some cases, they're right. There are a select few police officers and cops that still go out there with their hearts in the right mind. You think they're crazy? And even me, and I, I stayed on the street the entire career, but at this point, I think they're absolutely insane. And they're putting not just their careers on the line, they're putting their families in, harm way, in harm's way. And not physically, but they could sustain issues financially and emotionally because they're not going to be uh, indemnified and represented for doing their job. So this is absolutely not going to work. It's totally inept. It's inadequate. It's a big show. You said it's a dog, dog and pony show. It's exactly this. Let's throw darts at the board. We're never going to hit the board. We'll just have a bunch of holes on the wall. It looks great. I mean, I don't know. Do people actually think this works? You know what? I'm really curious. Please, John, pick your two favorite uh, council members. Well, you know what? Maybe we can use Chris Bow. Is that how you say Chris Bow? Chris Bow and Justin. Who's that other loser? Justin what? Justin Brennan. Justin Brennan. Complete loser. I would, please, can we invite these two? I would love to. I don't have them anymore because they threw them all in the garbage. But I'll buy them. I'll buy them. Can we buy them uniforms? And I would like to do scenarios. I'll set it up. I'll set up a whole area. And you and I could pretend. And we, and I love to be an actor. This would be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll act as if I'm a mentally ill person suffering from a psychosis. And you could be my my associate, associate suffering. And I would like to see how the, the two would approach us. And we can have actors as if we're in a transit system screaming, yelling with their phones out. Excuse my language, public, telling them to suck their dick and with the phones within a, a centimeter on their face. And I would like to see how the, they would handle it because, I mean, they think it's a cushy job and so easy. Please, I challenge you, please take the opportunity. If you could teach us how to do it, I, I would love to see it. Are you curious? I want to see this. No, well, I invited I – don't, I don't know how to get in contact with Chris Ball, but I did invite Justin Brandon on. Um, I, I've had several interactions with him on Twitter where he tries to, uh, basically call me an idiot without debunking one thing I say. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and I've had, I've had his, I've had the person that's, that's running against him. That'll be running against him in the next election. Mike Ragusa, he's been on the show. Um, he's running for Bay Ridge for city council. He, uh, he, uh, runs the Sunday sauce podcast as well. He's an active member in New York city corrections. Um, Definitely way more common sense than Justin. And I've been getting uh, some like little uh, nasty messages, speaking of Justin Branson, from an account on Twitter called – the guy's name is Benny. And he says that he's a retired EMT. Come to find out, it's actually Justin Brennan's second account. And he's he's like trolling me with this account. So I don't think he's ever coming on the show because he couldn't. He couldn't. And you're right. You, I do think these guys are, are crazy. And I think that you were crazy, Dim, too. And I think we had a conversation. I was. I was crazy. I really was. And I, and because... I think I think we had a conversation a few years back at some point where I was I was saying I don't I just don't I don't I'm not into it anymore. And I, I had it with a lot of guys that I, I worked with. Not sure if I had that with you, but I believe I did. And uh... I was because my my motivation, like I said, was, and I still feel this way. 
that when I lay down at night, I have to be able to look at the ceiling, close my eyes, and know that, God forbid, this is if I had ever wake up, that I did the right thing. And, and did the right thing by my men and women in, in the community. And I knew, I said, yeah, well, you know, other lieutenants would tell me, man, you're crazy, you're still out there. And I got this great gig, I'm sitting in a desk. I said, I know, but none of us took the job for that. I mean, some of us have to stand up and help these people. And that's why I'm saying, I hope the public doesn't get the wrong idea. I don't want anyone to get hurt. So, but I have to protect these men and women. I, I don't want them to go out there and do proactive police work right now. If God forbid you should call 911, I promise you, I encourage them to go there and help you and do an investigation and be thorough. But I, I, we can't have these men and women go out there and be intrusive right now and do proactive police work because they're putting their own lives on, on the line and financially. I mean, I wouldn't ask that of the public to, to go to work and put themselves in a position that they could lose money and hurt their families. I mean, these men and women in the police department, and I hope the public understands, and obviously the politicians don't understand, there are men and women just like you and I, ordinary men and women who took the calling of helping each other so that we can live. We can live a, a, a good society. It, it's that simple. They, they, these men and women do not have superpowers. or They do not have a crystal ball. They have a job, and they rely on their training and their observation skills to do the best that they can do. Their standards. In most cases, we exceed those standards. Sometimes we meet those standards, and sometimes we fall below. And guess what? That's good. Because those are opportunities to analyze, hey, we fell below the standards on this particular case. How can we work to make it better? That's why I was talking about Civilian Complaint Review Board in my first interview is I want the Civilian Complaint Review Board to understand I don't have vengeance against you, but let's stop being punitive. Let's use your analytical skills to improve training. Let's train our police so the cops to be better. But the only way we can do that is giving them the right tools and resources, and we've taken them all away. You know, if I, how could I go out there? I have some experience doing plumbing, but how can I go out and fix a pipeline, a toilet, a sink, if I don't have a wrench, if I don't have the right tools? I can't do it. So how can I go out with, in the public and help the public if I don't have the tools to have encounters? Encounters are so important. Reasonable suspicion is so important. It gives us the opportunity to detain someone and stop them before they actually commit that crime. It saves lives of the public and it saves perpetrators. It gives them a chance to rehab and to actually improve their lives. I had many people in possession of firearms thank me. And you know what? Thank God I was going to do something stupid with that firearm. And I did it. I mean, we even have a retired Inspector Corey Pegues who made it far in his career. And he even said that he was carrying an illegal firearm when he was young. And then, fortunately, he did not take that uh, next step in firing that shot. So when we encounter someone, that's what we're doing. Is we're stopping them from taking that shot. We may save their lives. Look, Inspector Pegues, his life was saved. He ended up becoming a leader amongst the police department and a successful career. Well, that can be the same thing. We can help the public. I know you're smiling. I, I, there's different controversy on this. It's, it's interesting. We could probably go down a rabbit hole with this one. But, I mean, my point is we can stop someone from losing their lives. No, no. I no, I agree. I'm smiling because just a piggyse. I'm just, I'm just flashing <laughs> back. I'm just flashing back in my career. That's all. I'm flashing back to a roll call he did at the West End. In the 6-7? Yeah. He was the CEO of the 6-7. And, um, and. 
you know, he said he started off his his thing. We were all lined up to go out there for uh, Juve. It was Juve. I did Juve a lot of times in my career because I always had Sunday, Monday off. So getting out to go out there all night. And he's like, yeah, some of you may know me. Some of you say I got Thug Life tattooed on my neck. That shit is bullshit. Um, <laughs> and he had Thug Life tattooed directly on the, I believe it was the left side of his neck where you could see it clear as day. Um, he said that shit is bullshit. He said... These boys out here ain't playing. And if you got to body them boys, then body them. And I I just, I that was one day in my career when I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing on this job or why I'm on this job. This guy is a fucking idiot. How did he ever make it to the rank of deputy inspector? Uh, <laughs> but so I, he made the deputy inspector, but I never committed a crime in my life. I couldn't make it the captain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 I know. I just, I, it was just, it was just a bad example because I just, I don't know. I'm not a fan of his at all. He wrote that whole book, cop and drug dealer, said he hung out with Kenneth Supreme Griff, when in fact, Kenneth Supreme Griff said, I don't even know who the fuck that guy is. He's full of I shit. That too. <laughs> so he's full of shit. So I don't even believe any of his stories. And I watched him on Vlad TV and I actually posted about it. I put a video of him. He's a fucking liar. Like it's it clear as day. Like it's, it was like, I was like, dude, like, just give it up. You're not a thug. Uh, now he's also, he's also, uh, um, a police, uh, whatever you want to call it. He's a consultant too. So if you guys real want real consulting, call me and Eric, you know, <laughs> finest, finest unfiltered LLC. You could, you know, we could actually come out there and actually give you reality verse and we could even talk about what the laws are and what reality is and maybe work around the plan of of how we could still police effectively within the laws depending on your geographic location and the laws that are put in place um you know because if these guys are running out there telling you get on armed security guards i mean they're obviously full of shit and you know if you see the laws that are put in place in new york city and the and if and and i invite really any reporters uh, any reporters or any statistical analysis people or any actuaries to really take Eric Dim's career and and really do an analysis as what will happen to a proactive cop over the course of a 25-year career. How many times will they be in an interaction where they will have to fill out a threat uh, resistance and injury report, which will generate self-generate complaints against them? What's the average of time they will lose in their banks, money that will be spent, how many people will actually be fired as of, as, as, uh, uh, or, or be held up from actually going further in their career? Because like, like the article pointed out, the only person that was ever fired was Danny Panaleo from the CCRB, um, but he was wrongly fired. And he did stay in there for the killing and he did not kill Eric Gardner, because if he did, he would have been in jail. There were two investigations done, and that was that was found to be not true. Um, so, if you if if any actuaries or reporters would actually do a study into that, I mean, Eric, like I said, right now he's the most complained about cop in New York City history. But if you get a guy that's like Eric that says, you know what, I'm going to push back against this, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to own this, and I'm going to serve my my city, and I'm going to go against the the I'm going to go against my my rationale and my belief on how this is putting me in a trick box, and go out and do my job. What will 
happen to that person? How many complaints will they have? I would, I would really like to know. Cause I, I think that you, your numbers would be minute. I really do. I really do. And I think right now we're not seeing the rise in complaints is because what you're talking about guys are hesitating. And even you, like the last part of your career, you, you, you had to step back. You had to, you would have been fired. There's to. no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt in my mind that you would have been fired. I, I knew at that point I was hanging on a cliff. It was just, I just needed one more little push and it was over. So uh, even at that point, and, and it hurt me because, you know, I'm not trying to break, but I have these observation skills. I, I just garnered over years. And particularly in times where I would watch and I would do surveillance and I would say, wow, I'm confident that that guy right now, I think he's got a gun on him. And I would see all the subtle movements. I would see the elbow twitch. I would see it hit the waistband and I would see the eyes. I knew there was a particular glee in the eye that would go along with these behavioral indicators. And cops know what I'm talking about. When you see that glee in the eye from a person that you're doing surveillance on, it's almost like you're having a conversation, but there's actually no words coming out. They know, and you know, and you both know. And at that point, it's a race for, okay, who's going to make the first move? So a lot of times in my career, it's funny. I used to find that when I would see something like that, I would just run at the person because I knew that they were going to run. And it actually would make them stop because a lot of the, I used to teach my guys is, you know, what I'm talking, when you would see someone and then their pace would start to pick up, your pace would start to pick up, then they run and you run. And I would find in my career that when you would see that, if you start to run first, then you just stop because it kind of changes the odor of like, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? And uh, and I would see this constantly in Times Square in my last year. And I said I was hanging on a cliff and I, I saw the, all the behavioral indicators and observations. I said, I would tell some of the cops, oh, my God, do you see that? Do you see that? And some of the guys with trained eyes, they would see it. And some of the, there was a lot of new cops there and, and they wouldn't see it yet. So I would try to teach them and, and talk about the stuff that I was looking at and what I would look for and talk to them about the baseline and stuff I believe in. But it's unfortunate. I said, listen, I, you know, these are skills that, that, that I would love to teach that you could utilize. But we're at a point right now, if you do utilize these skills to help the public, you're going to end up in a position just like me or maybe worse. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be at the end of my career that I, I, that I was able to exit. But if you're in the, in the beginning of your career and you're getting peppered up and you have five years on the job, especially now with 22 years that you have to do to get a full pension, that's 17 years that you're going to have to find yourself having to avoid doing police work. It's, it's like I said, going back to being in construction work, going to work, building a house, and you say to yourself, well, how do I not put a nail in the wall? Because if I put that nail, I'm going to get in trouble. So you have to go 17 years and say, well, how do I not do my job so I don't get in trouble? I mean, that's we need to get that message out to the public. This is the truth. A police officer gets up in the morning, takes a shower, drives to work. In most of these cases, these police officers drive an hour, an hour and a half so that they can afford a house with their family and do extra overtime for a house that they never get to see. But they're driving to work and they're already thinking in their minds, how do I do this job today without doing my job so I don't get in trouble? So the stresses that a police officer faces right now in, in the mental health aspect is beef, be, beyond what we could even understand right now because the police officer didn't even get to work yet and they're already stressed and the adrenaline is always going through. And they're thinking to themselves, especially if they're an active police officer, is there a civilian complaint substantiated waiting for me on my desk or in my mailbox? Is there a, uh, a copy of the tri report that the duty captain found some error that it needs to be further investigated? Did I have an arrest yesterday that the person that I arrested have now is now making a claim at another precinct, an allegation that I 
abuse my authority and use too much force. And that case is being investigated and I'm not even aware of it. And now I'm going to be called for a, a, a TRI, a trial report that I did not even initiate. And that's why it's important too. A lot of times the police officers have to document when you arrest someone and you bring them in, if they have old injuries, document on that medical treatment prison form so they do not use those injuries against you and claim it's a new injury. Protect yourselves. This is scary. We could go on for months talking about there's so much content. And and, uh, Chris Bow, that's what you don't understand. There's so much information of what it takes to be an effective police officer cop. It's not a cushy job like you think. No, yeah, and I, I just wanna, I wanna thank everybody for tuning in and listening, and I've been getting a ton of messages from really all over the world, but particularly from the men and women in the NYPD, uh, and I just got one right now as we're sitting here, and it kind of relates. So I'm not gonna, I'll never expose anybody's name. Um, so I appreciate all your, all your stuff. I'll never expose your name, but I'd like to read the message I just got as we're sitting here uh, having this podcast. Uh, as an active NYPD anti-crime cop who's been active since I came out of the academy, I want to thank you and Eric for exposing the truth and saying what we cannot say freely in fear of retaliation from the department. Job well done, brother. And hopefully we can get the city to revise CCRB and take some powers away from them. They are hammering cops, especially the active ones like me. Thank you again, brother. Um, and I get new, I get numerous of these daily, numerous of these daily. So this isn't just our, it's just not just me and Eric dreaming this up or we're not changing the perception. This is what is going on. This is what the men and the women on the street are telling you. I don't care what the spokesperson for or the, the spokesperson for the New York City Police Department comes out and says. I don't care what the spokesperson for CCRB says. Um, you're hearing it. You're hearing what we're talking about. You're hearing it from two guys that have done this job, that know the hypocrisy that have seen it um and we have a real our hands on the pulse you know there's a lot of guys on this job that me and eric trained uh there's a lot of guys that i looked up to that trained me that we still actively talk today and they're still active and you know they're they're, this isn't just us this is like regular you're hearing like regular coffee talk in the police department is what you hear when guys are sitting down and they have a minute. So I really thank everybody that's been reaching out. I really thank everybody for listening to this. Um, I know Eric's super insightful. Um, and I, I appreciate you, Eric, not being afraid to, uh, to come out here and, uh, you know, and take the blows, the bad and the good. And I just want to give credit to the podcast that we're about to drop in a little while for dropping the story about Pat Lynch, about how the PBA donated uh all of that money the, the post got it wrong they said it was twenty five thousand. there were two donations it totaled fifty one thousand three hundred something dollars whatever it was but that broke for me and eric um you know some and that was from somebody that sent us that information somebody out there said where to look to where to find out and i looked up all the other stuff and i'm still looking so if anybody wants anything to get out there any messages again feel free reach out to me eric we're very accessible i think everyone has our numbers so <laughs> yeah, i'm not gonna throw it out there on uh for all the airwaves but you know you know uh you know i thank i and i thank you guys for all you do and and, and on, on another thing uh me and eric did a couple of, of podcasts where we broke down videos 
And I, and I had a lot of pushback on some of them where people said, oh, it's not fair because if we do anything, um, if we do anything, you know, we're going to get jammed up. So we got to just take it with a grain of salt. And yes, I don't think that me and Eric sat there like tough guys saying, oh, what? what oh, yeah, I would have did this. Or I would have did that. We didn't do that at all. We actually gave you guys credit uh, for for how not that it was handled, but we knew why you handled it the way you did. We knew why the supervisor on scene held the cops back because he was protecting them. We know what the cop is thinking individual. You know, we're not two people. We're not two talking heads. We've been in that scenario. We could both place ourselves in that scenario very easily and and feel everything that you guys are feeling because we felt it all before. So uh, yes, I, yes, it is a critique and, and, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to be sorry for any of my critiques because it's just my opinion, you know? And um, so, but feel free, anything that I say or Eric says, and you feel that we're, we misrepresented something also reach out. You know, I, I don't have a problem going back. If I said something stupid, we're going to be talking a lot on here. I don't have a problem going back on the videos that we covered. I, I, I won't apologize for because we didn't say anything, anything that I don't agree with. I think, I think we were pretty much on point with all that stuff. And, you know, you know, and, and that, that's really it. Eric, you got anything to add on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to add on that. So I agree with you. I, I'm, I don't think we should apologize for our critique. Our critique is actually to help them because we've been through these uh, scenarios. Uh, we have the training and we understand it. I, and I do understand what they're saying. But what I'm saying to you is that if you take a proactive stance that you're going to put yourself in these positions, in some cases you're brought to these positions and, and, or these scenarios and you have no choice. So what I'm saying is if you are put in those scenarios at that point, I understand that you may get a CCLB substantiated. And you may have to self-report by doing a TRI. But I promise you that death is imminent. And it's more, your life should be more important. So if you have to get a substantiated civilian complaint or self-report with a TRI, and it's going to save the life of you and your partner, and you're in that position, yes, then you have to meet violence with violence. And that's what we're saying at that point. And that's why we're here. We are trying to be your voice. We are here to fight for you. We're here to send a message. We understand that there's things that you can't say. You're on the job right now, or we would never expose you. But if there's something that you want us to bring to light, we are here to bring out content, send a message. 265 Police Live, we are the experts. And I even want to go further and offer uh, our services. And if, John, you're okay with this, if you are right now out there and you have a, a, a substantiated civilian complaint, and if you actually have factual information to back up why you should be exonerated, if you took the actions and you are justified, or if you are being misled into uh, a, a false statement or something as such, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us on Twitter and uh, you can actually send me some of the discovery and I can listen to it and help you and, and try to guide you through these things because they are, you have to, when you go to these investigations with the Civilian Complaint Review Board, you have to understand you are the expert. They are probing you and be confident that you are the expert. Slow those questions down. Ask yourself, what are they asking here? You do not have to answer these questions in rapid fire. When they ask a question, sit back and actually process the information. If they don't like that you're taking too long, well, guess what? So be it. They've held me there for four and a half hours. I even had one that was five hours. 
Take your time because you only have one shot at it. And if you give the wrong answers, they're going to use that against you. Take your time. Feel free to ask the Civilian Complaint Review Board investigator, what exactly are you asking me? Answer the questions narrowly to what they ask you. Do not give more information that is unnecessary. If you were not trained in something, do not say you were trained because you think you're helping someone or you have to because you're afraid of losing your detail. If you are not trained, the answer is you are not trained. Leave that up to the job if they have to give you for training for something. And, and, and I've listened to some discoveries in different cases trying to help out other cops out there. And they're giving wrong answers because they're being misled. They're getting leading questions. Slow them down. You are the expert. Remember that. I'm telling you, you are a lot smarter than you think. Be confident. Confidence brings confidence. Before you go to these complaints, do your own investigation. Read case law that coincides with your case. Watch your body camera videos. Slow them down as they will slow them down. Unfortunately, they're not going to understand it in real time. And don't be afraid to tell them that, hey, you were afraid in that situation and what you saw, you can't account for what other people saw. So with that, like I said, we're here to help. John and I are not making any money by this. We're just here to help. I just want to get a message out there. We want to be the catalyst to make some changes. Thank you so much for listening to us. We're going to give you more content. As long as you guys keep asking for it, we're going to be out there giving it to you. John, thank you so much for working me on this. It's been nothing but fun. It's been a ride. Let this roller coaster keep going. I'm not getting off anytime soon. It goes up. It goes down. They want to slander us. I have no problem with it. I have thick skin, and so does John. I've had my name smeared through the mud. It's not a problem. We're here to help you in any way that it takes, any shape or form. Thank you so much. All right, guys. And, Dim, one last thing on your point. I, I, that was a great ending, but I just want to end one last thing. What happens when you're in a CCRB or in an IAB investigation and you do not know the answer because it's coming at you fast and you're nervous? What do you do? If you do not answer, if you do not know the answer, just say exactly, I don't know. That- I do not. There's that's, nothing that's wrong it. with saying I, you do. You do not have to know everything and answer everything. And you have to listen to these questions. And John, it goes back to what you're saying. 100% when you start that investigation, the determination has already been made that you are substantiated. You are guilty. So you're only giving them ammunition and you're helping them in their case. Slow those questions down. Do not be afraid to tell your attorney, hold on a minute. I believe I asked that question. Can you, can you intervene? Do not be afraid to tell that PBA rep, that SBA rep, that LBA rep that is, is present at your Zoom investigation. Wait a minute. Am I the subject? Am I the witness? What are the accusations? Who's investigating? You have a right to know. It's in the patrol guide. Ask these questions. Do not be afraid to ask questions. They are questioning your authority. So question theirs. Absolutely. Make Make your representative, make your PBA rep, make the PBA lawyer that comes for the SBA, make that trustee do his job. Don't Half the time you look over, you look over to your left, they'll be sitting there scrolling on their phone because they don't give a shit because they're going out to lunch right after. They're in the city, they're wherever the hell they are. Make them do their job. It's time to make all of your unions do their job. This is no longer a good cushy gig for them where they get take-home cars and they get an extra salary. Let them work for their job. I think I think all of this has highlighted the fact that unions are they're they're demasculated. They've been neutered. It's time to get some new leadership in there. I really I really to the men and women out there in every rank. And I know that every rank listens to this show. I'm telling you right now, grab your balls, figure out who it's going to be 
and who you're going to go around, whether it be a man or a woman. And, I, and by the way, I've seen way more women on this job recently have way more balls than all the men. So I do think that I do think that some of these women should be SBA, SBA president, LBA president. CEA president. Um, I, I don't. I, when I when I say grab your balls, I just mean grab your courage. I don't care what it is. Just a person that's going to sit there and speak out. Identify who those people are and start campaigning. Wrap around it. Start to take back the leadership. What you need is legal action to defend these things. That's really we need to make sure our money's going to the right candidates. They're voted. We're voting in the right people. We're letting our family and our friends know who we're going to vote that support us, that support the criminal. And um, and on top of that, we're going to make sure that the union funds are being appropriated correctly so that lawsuits are there to protect their members and that the lawyer sitting next to you isn't scrolling on his phone that he doesn't know what's going on make sure and like dim said you're not sure i don't know there's nothing wrong with going back and saying hey you know what i don't know right now but i could uh-huh. find out but i could find out i don't know there is nothing wrong with that that is not a misleading statement because you know what is a misleading statement when you answer in a rush because you're afraid and you're nervous, you are going to be screwed whether that question is even relevant to yes. what they're asking you or not. So really, please, please slow it down. Like Eric said, that I mean, uh, yes, he's the most complained about cop. So I would say if anybody, if anybody should be sitting next to you or representing you, I need a clear opinion from what goes on in that room. I would think Eric would be the guy you would want to reach out to. He's, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge. So please feel free. Um, reach out to us. You can go to our website, uh, thefinestunfiltered.com. Um, you know, we're on Twitter. We're all over the place. So please, I, I do that. And just, and just an end, just an end, please. New York, get your family and friends out. Vote Lee Zeldin. Vote Joseph Pinion. Vote for Michael Henry. Get your family and friends on this. Let's turn the ship around.